Governor's race brings lesser of two evils voting to a whole new level. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Normally, Saturdays from 3 to 6, and yes, I'm on today 3 to 6, but it's the only time during football season that I am on my regular time. So we have a lot to pack in. This is an important election season, very important. Uh, It's the most challenging that I can think of because I don't like to vote lesser of two evils. uh, And both of these candidates turn me off big time. But there is a third way. The libertarian way. I'm not a knee-jerk libertarian voter. I did not vote for uh, Gary Johnson and William Weld in the presidential election because they're not real libertarians. But I have the real libertarian candidate for Georgia governor on this show so you can hear from himself what he's all about and why he thinks that a vote for him is a good vote. That's going to be at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And at 5.30, we are going to have our favorite election integrity activist, my favorite political activist, bar none, Garland Favorito, is going to be here at 5.30. Tell us the best way to vote, to make your vote count, uh, things we should look for on the ballot, and uh, other issues that only he can address with the kind of um, expertise that we've come to know. So those are what's going on at five, but in the five o'clock hour. But until then, Binkley and I, my producer Binkley here, have so much to unpack for you. Binkley, you have been working hard, have you not? I've been trying to. (laughs) Well, you actually have certainly been putting the hours in, and I'll tell you how I know and how my entire family knows, because if I ever forget to turn off my phone, it'll completely blows up like four o'clock in the morning and I'll hear my young son like in his tiny voice like down the hall. It's not tiny anymore, but say, uh, Binkley, go to bed <laughs> because Wait he knows. Yes, he knows it's you. You can hear those text messages throughout your entire house? Because I leave my doors open. My son, my older son has Down syndrome and I have to absolutely keep all the doors wide open so we can all hear in case he escapes. Well, now I know. So I try to uh, remember to turn it off, but sometimes I forget and I'll just like the phone and also I'll lend my phone to the kids, but whatever, they have those crappy phones that break all the time. So they all know that in the wee hours, Binkley will text like <laughs> a thousand times. <laughs> but lately it's all been like, oh my gosh, and then I found this and then I found that. So uh, I w- we have, I would say some explosive stuff from the um, Abrams backstory that absolutely nobody has found, because it's not like you stumbled upon recent articles. You were digging deep and found stuff that nobody else has found, correct? Yes, I haven't seen this stuff brought up anywhere else. Yeah, and lest uh, people think that we're just exposing Abrams, we have done numerous shows on both Abrams and Kemp, and if people had listened to us... The, the race right now would probably be Cagle beating the pants off of Abrams, but that's not how it came down. And But I would like people to be able to go back and listen. We are not going to have the time to rehash the really important highlights that we came up with in the past. So can you tell people how to go back and listen to those shows? There are, I think, a couple on Kemp and a couple on Abrams. 
They can go to the Propaganda Report um, podcast on iTunes, and I will link the episodes on Twitter here in a moment. Okay, so your uh, his handle is at Freedom Act Radio, and after the show, I'll retweet whatever he tweets about that um, at Monica Perez Show. So, uh, so we have a lot of that, and and <laughs> I would also say I really get a lot of heat for defending people's right to vote like and i mean that most sincerely or not to vote or to vote third party or to vote right in i i believe that certainly from a a symbolic level voting is a profound demonstration or at least assertion of the right to self-government to govern yourself and and we have probably put in more work to educate the voter and educate their conscience. And if people actually took what we said and reflected, we'd probably get a good we'd probably be in a better position right now with uh, with this election. But I do get a lot of flack for that. Um, and I don't know what's your what's your your take on that, Binkley? I mean, what? You played something for me a while ago that where um, some activists uh, were saying we should have a collective vote. That's Linda Sarsour. Okay. And I believe in the same clip, she was telling people that they should all vote how she tells them to. They should vote for the incarcerated and the undocumented. Yes. Right. So when you start with the lesser of two evils or the collective vote or vote how your leaders tell you to vote blindly, that's what you get. You actually get uh, just pure power, just she, p- pure power. Yeah, she actually said that people need to step in line and do as they're told and yeah, vote so that, Democrat. So that, I mean, that just negates the whole concept of democracy. And as an anarcho-capitalist, I'm not, I'm not actually a card-carrying member of the Libertarian Party. Uh, I... They're just not really libertarian enough for me. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I believe this concept of self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. You know, I don't think that you can limit, but I have decided to dedicate my life to defending the Bill of Rights because those are real. We Those are our rights, whether they're written down on a piece of paper or not. It's helpful to have them written down on a piece of paper. And and if the system has democracy as a method to appoint the people who are supposed to oversee those rights and preserve those rights on our behalf, that would be great. It seems to me that what it actually does is the opposite. You elect people who subvert your rights, who take your place and don't have your interests at heart. That is why I'm not a fan of this lesser of two evils thing, because over time... Uh, it has gotten us worse and worse to the point where it's just evil versus evil, and and the and the argument is the other guy's worse. But I do I do feel like when you start getting to the point, I, I heard another Democrat say to me that it was outrageous that the Republican leadership didn't uh, better control the voters and the rank and file, and I said, well, that you're obviously expressing uh you know that you don't really believe in democracy he said at this point yeah (laughs) and i was like okay because it's not going your way but it was all fun and games when when it was ushering in the welfare state 
So what's your I, 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 I think really it's a choice not to vote, just like it's a choice to vote. People are often pressured saying it's their civic duty to vote and you, you must get out and vote. You must get out and vote. You must get out and vote. And that's fine. But it's also a choice not to. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a voice because you choose not to. That's one of the you know, biggest propaganda lines since the beginning of time is you must vote for the choices that we chose for you. Yeah, and and think of it this way: forty. I think did I read forty percent of the people of eligible voters don't vote. What if ninety percent of eligible voters didn't vote? Wouldn't wouldn't that be a vote? <laughs> yeah, sort of. You know, I mean, that would say we do not accept this false choice that you're giving us, and it would happen overnight. You think it would it, it would take forever? Th- this is the thing about the lesser of two evils voting: is that it's the way they boil the frog. It's the way, you know, that they get you to just incrementally lose everything. And I and I think of an example of that is Ronald Reagan, who I was always a fan of. I cried when he was shot. Um, I was little. But he, uh, Nixon, a Republican, closed the gold window in 1972, I believe, because that's when Ron Paul decided to enter the arena, hang up his scrubs, and, um, and head to Washington. And... Within one decade, less than a decade, the economy was in uh, a tailspin. The interest rates, the currency was all a mess, predictably. And Reagan was elected in a landslide. And instead of, of saying, look, obviously we can draw a straight line from the 1972 dot to the dot of total, you know, of near collapse because he clo- because Nixon closed the gold window, we need to re-establish real money but instead he and paul volcker volcker i think took the lead on it uh fixed it they they instituted some harsh policies that uh that preserved fiat money and i would i would ask was that better is it better and then you have the 2008 crisis and 20 trillion dollars of debt right now i mean Economic stuff gets nuanced, but um, but just as an analogy, is it better to allow uh, to to take the lesser, you know, to take a little to take a little win at, at knowing that in the long run all is lost? So I I think that's food for thought, but I I will not take any guff <laughs> for my opinion, which I normally do because. You mostly, but on this show, have delivered so much important information about the true nature of these candidates that uh, that I I think that the voters who do decide to vote, even the lesser of two evils, will have really learned a lot from what we've put out there. And uh, and the stuff that you have today is no exception. We really absolutely have to dig into it. Uh, I am open to calls, though, and if people want to tweet questions for Ted Metz, who's going to be on later, or um, we can accumulate those, you can tweet at us at Monica Perez Show or at Freedom Act Radio, and uh, and we'll also get to some calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, and Binkley, let's queue up some of that fantastic uh, smoking gun audio you got um, that will help illuminate this governor's race. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Evil does seek to maintain power by suppressing the truth. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. This is Monica Perez. We are back and um, we are 
Going to talk about the governor's election, of course. What else? Um, we got some tweets at Monica Perez Show. You can tweet at us for um, anything you want to ask Ted Metz or Garland Favrito. They're going to be my guests in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Binkley, what do you got tweet-wise? Dean tweets. Would this one want to go go with first? We got a couple here. Oh, uh, we had a few that we saw. Um, let's do Rock. Okay, Rock. I like Dean's. Hang on to it, but do Rock's. Okay, Rock tweets. Unless there's a candidate whom I agree on every issue, in order to vote, I have to make some compromises. For example, I agree with Ted Metz on all but abortion, which I believe is murder and therefore should be illegal. My vote for him would be choosing the lesser of two evils. Okay, so uh, I love that tweet. I love things that make me think. And uh, here's my thought on that. Is, Is just disagreeing with someone doesn't make them evil. And abortion is a great um, example for that because uh, murder is evil. And if you believe abortion is murder, then the person who doesn't agree with you on it has to be evil. But uh, especially with abortion in the libertarian context, I, I live life. My son has Down syndrome. I never got an amnio for him or any of my kids. I would not make that choice for sure. But um Libertarians can disagree on a couple of um, what are called competing rights issues. So immigration, for example, in this society, which has limited uh, um, and diminished private property rights, immigration at the national level has an impact on your ability to control your own private property. So libertarians can don't have to be open borders. And like with abortion where you draw the line between moral law and civil law could be religious. It could be that you believe um, conception imparts a soul and that's why that's the dividing line. And you could believe you could draw a different line on where you use force. So how would you force a woman to incubate a child if she'd rather starve herself to death? You'd have to use force. So is it a moral issue? Is it a civil issue? So I'm not saying how to come out on those issues. I'm just saying to come out on different sides of those issues doesn't necessarily mean you're evil. But if you engage in deception and fraud um, and corruption and subversion and exploitation of different groups for political purposes, deceptively for your own ends, that is what I mean by evil. If they're both bad choices uh, because they're corrupt and fraudulent, that's you're playing a game you're trying to game evil versus evil and i'm not sure we have the wisdom for that i actually think of the our father which is my favorite prayer that uh god's will be done on earth as it is in heaven and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil maybe a little faith but i'm not don't don't ask me to go religious i'm not good at it but i do try to use it as a touchstone and uh, and I and I think that it's so, so interesting, such fruitful thought. Let's get to Dean's tweet next. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything you do is being watched by some all-seeing eye. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Terrian voice on WSB Saturdays from three to six when uh, when I don't make way for UGA sports. And it's a good thing I'm on today because we have some stuff. I've got Binkley just digging deep on the uh, governor's race. 
Pinkley, my producer here. How you doing, Pinkley? I'm great. How are you? I'm great too. Feeling good. Feeling good, Mortimer. Um, what we had a tweet. I wanted to hear Dean's tweet. Give me. Yes, we have a tweet from Dean, who tweets: "You would think leaders of either party telling supporters to fall in line and be good lemmings would give them food for thought, but it doesn't." Yeah, I was. People should listen to. Our podcast that we do, which you can get on iTunes, it's called Propaganda Report. We can get into more of the uh, the longer clips and excerpts of of when these guys on the left hold training sessions to get people out, how to um, basically manipulate people into voting without asking questions. And there was one, my favorite clip, I, maybe you can find the episode and tweet it later on, was I think you said it was Linda Sarsour, who's a... Um, radical activist, I think, is a fair way of portraying her. I don't that's know. That's a her, fair. That's a fair assessment. So she says, "Get the vote out." They, they, and they, they're all snapping their fingers in the background, saying, "Collective vote, collective vote," which is not a vote. You know, that's not what the vote is. And then, furthermore, she says, "Vote for the incarcerated, vote for the undocumented, etc." So she's saying to vote <laughs> for non-citizens, people who don't even have the right to vote or hold office, for people who are in jail, presumably not everybody is in jail uh, unfairly, you know? I would say the majority of people in jail are criminals. So, um... She's an architect of chaos. She led a lot of those protests at the Kavanaugh hearings. Oh, really? And she's a fan, ironically, of uh, Louis Farrakhan, right? Yes, who believes that Bill... (laughs) Bill Cosby doesn't need <laughs> drugs to sleep with women. He made that very clear. Uh, yeah, that was the most uncom- basically my most one of my most uncomfortable moments on the air was last show when we um, played that uh, line from Louis Farrakhan, which Bill Cosby retweeted in Bill Cosby's defense, and I was pretty shocked to um, when you drew the connection that Linda Sarsour loves this guy. Ugh. Yes. I don't get it. Anyway, that's where ideology fails and it's just blind power and uh, you need what Dean was saying, lemmings, people who just follow blindly. So uh, now, speaking of radical uh, power mongers, what you found on Stacey Abrams' backstory was pretty shocking to me. And we've gone through some of her backstory stuff, stuff that she lays out as the foundation for her uh, motives and her goals and her worldview and all that, which has been disputed by people who would know. We've covered this all in past shows. Doesn't even ring true. Uh, The narrative doesn't make sense. Her claims of poverty. She has her parents have graduate degrees. Her sisters are, are in really powerful and respected positions. Three Yale graduates from among the children in that family. So so just from my own personal experience, I'm the youngest of nine. My father was a truck driver. My mother was a waitress. She she graduated to being a uh, practical nurse. And they, they were finding their way. Their parents were immigrants, and they were finding their way. And then when I... And and... All of this was in the context of extreme morality, my being raised, where my father encouraged me to drop out of high school because uh, public school was a hotbed of socialist indoctrination. 
And I did it. I did drop out of high school. And then my mother freaked out. So I ended up in community college and I transferred to Harvard, which alarmed my father. <laughs> you know? So talk about socialist indoctrination. And and but while there, so I was a junior at Harvard for the first time at Harvard. I got a scholarship, but not for food or anything. So I was starving just for tuition. I was starving. I had no idea how to make a resume, do an interview. I did. I would sit around listening to people talk about how their parents were swapping jobs for each other. So their, the one dad had an internship. He'd give it to the other guy's kid, and the other guy's dad would give it to their kid. This was not my world, and it was difficult. Plus, I was outspoken, bold. I was always talking about right and wrong, and you can't do that. And and I still barely, obviously, have not really learned my lesson because I'll go, my kids now go to... So the, I think the hierarchy is when you start going to a good high school, that's when you've really got a leg up. And so my kids now are going to fancy schools. And, of course, I'm at, like, you know, meet the other parents' day, saying what I think and they're just like okay this is I'm not making any I'm not making it easier for my kids but my point is just that it's uh her Stacey and her sisters have risen to the highest echelons of power not digging their way out of poverty so my experience I wasn't from a broken home and I wasn't from poverty I was just from a a a place of ethics and a place not of social climbing and all that. Think about the people who really are coming out of poverty, the kids who really are, when they're eight years old, put on the corners with vials of crack. I don't know if that's still a thing. I don't know what the latest is now, but, you know, there there's real, um, you're gone. You have a record by the time you're 13. Like, how could, how can you claw your way out of that? And then on top of that, the, the culture uh, is to is to uh, have contempt for the system, kind of like what my father said to me. I don't want you in school because they have a socialist indoctrination. This is where I think people like everyone from Malcolm X, Tupac, Bill Cosby, and now Kanye are getting demonized or killed or whatever because they they uh, point out the problems with the system and. They're radical, whatever that they, they, they really could cause trouble. But uh, I feel they call attention to these really systemic structural barriers to equality and achievement that I have. I don't even have a taste of that kind of 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 a prejudice thing or an inner city thing. Just simply, I have a taste of what it's like to try to master the system from a position of complete ignorance and powerlessness and no money, right? So I'm not, it's not like I have the cards stacked against me. I just have no cards. And that was very difficult. And I did not make the most of it. I, I mean, you might think this is awesome, but I really, you know, if I had to support a family, I'm not sure I would have uh, knocked the cover off the ball in the long run. Um, you know, I did fine, but it was an uphill battle. And I, I feel like, it's like an impossible. So I, I've lost siblings to drug abuse who never even got as far as I got. Uh, and I can see how that's an absolute complete deal breaker. And that's why this Stacey's backstory doesn't really ring true. And in some of the stuff you brought me where she likens being in Spelman College with being across the street in the projects. There's no there's no difference now. Um, right. And that's important yeah. for her campaign because she's running on 
that she represents those communities. Yeah, but there's a profound difference. And her past and her future belie that she is not of that world. But she exploits it. And this is what you brought to me. This is a part of her backstory that nobody has talked about that I uh, that I find absolutely fascinating. How do you want to introduce it? Let me... Uh... Something you said right there from in, in Abrams book, Minority Leader, she says, my new classmates were the daughters of politicians and famous lawyers and corporate leaders. One of my closest friends mentioned in passing that she had the U.S. Surgeon General's home phone number. And then she's turning around and saying that there's no difference in a college student. This is an elite school and people across the street living in poverty. Yeah, but when she said that. What she was said, what she was talking about, if I'm not mistaken, was this was happening in the context of her uh, leading students during what she called protests during Rodney King, but they were physically in the same place as the the riots, right? Yeah, I mean that's the problem. Like if you you're a little too young to remember this, Binkley probably, but I remember those riots. Now I wasn't here, but I was in New York City. And uh, it was terrible. It was really terrible because people in their own communities were the ones who were suffering. It wasn't any guilty parties who were suffering. It, that was what the terrible tra- tragedy was of those um, misguided acts of violence. And and you've got some stuff that uh, I, I do ties her to a philosophy that I consider at that time to be quite destructive. Speaking to what you just said, there is an, a quote from an AJC article in 1992 that is talking about the aftermath of the riots. And it says, three Atlanta University Center students, Atlanta University Center is Spelman, Morehouse, and all those colleges in that same same area, all those black universities. It says, three Atlanta University Center students, Stacey Abrams, Lawrence Jeffries, and Kevin Donaldson, say their lives have been turned upside down since they helped lead AUC protest after the Rodney King verdict. They helped create the Student for African American Empowerment spelled with a K, African-American, a group of about 200 students from the six AUC schools formed after a protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. So she was... Say that last part again? After... Wait, the last... After a protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. Hold on. What's the the phrase before that? They helped create the Students for African-American Empowerment, a group of... S-A-A-E. Yes, Yeah, and it's spelled African-American with two Ks. Yes, instead of Cs. Got it. A group of about 200 students from from the six AUC schools formed after a protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. Now, Abrams claims that she led a peaceful protest while all the chaos was going on. But even if a protest that you lead starts peacefully, you have no control over a herd with herd mentality. And based on... All the reporting on this in 1992, she truly did lead a protest. It's hard to believe that that protest wasn't involved in the cars getting set on fire, on stores being rampaged, on the chaos that went on. Yeah, and private property being trampled. But you know what? I would even peel that onion a little bit more and say the Rodney King thing uh, was, I believe the focus was wrong. Rodney King was a troubled guy. He... He he was trying. He was running from the police because he didn't want to get stopped with uh, drugs or alcohol in his system because he was on probation or something, parole maybe from uh, some kind of theft conviction, I believe, if I recall correctly. And when they stopped him, they were mad at him. He was trying to kind of get away, and they 
absolutely, as my father would say, beat his crawler off. They absolutely. And what would have been good is to look at that and say, this is how we what we allow our cops to do. This is how they react. Is this right or wrong? But by turning it to race, which is exactly what happened when the militarization of the police became a a nationwide rallying cry. Eric Holder directed it towards Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman and made it a race thing. And or maybe it was the black versus blue thing that came out of Ferguson. But it was that was all diversion from a real question that we can all get behind. Is this how we want our relationship with the cops to be? When you put race into it, it gets the people fighting and you're not going to get a resolution. It actually makes the cops stronger and uh, and minorities more oppressed. And I think her issue with the Georgia flag speaks to that kind of uh, cross purposes. Let's get to that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I'm your libertarian voice on WSB. We were just talking about uh, Stacey Abrams leading protests during uh, after the Rodney King verdict. I personally think that uh, it's very, very important to hold police accountable. Uh, power corrupts. We must, as a favor to them, lead us not into temptation. We must have transparency, clear laws, and total accountability. So... When people divert opportunities to address this stuff, like after the Rodney King beating, and make it a um, divide the population over it, have people, those Rodney King riots were uh, hurt citizens. They, they had nothing, especially in Atlanta, they had absolutely nothing to do with the LA police force. It was counterproductive. And Binkley, uh, so you had something to say about that. And then, and then, Abrams also had something was active in trying to get the Georgia flag changed. And I think that also was perceived as counterproductive. Tell me about that. Yeah. At that point in time, Atlanta had its first black mayor. There was a black police chief. There was a Democrat governor in office. There was a lot of progress and there was already a lot of talk about changing the flag because it had um, a Confederate logo on it. And the riots really brought division back to the table and you know essentially gave these students some power in the activism community and the process but these riots didn't help anybody the right. people and in the communities even though they acted like they were the students were taught the students acted like they were speaking for the people in the communities the people in the communities were mad at those students because they destroyed their property oh yeah i read some of those articles you sent me and i remember that from la too i mean they were the riots were directed at the poor neighborhoods. It was not cool. We we are not going to have time to play the clip I wanted you to play of um, describing how how Stacy approached the the other issue, which was uh, shortly thereafter of changing yeah. the flag. Let's that clip really speaks for itself. Um, let's get into it after the break. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.